Thanks, as always, for checking out the podcast. Three shows mashed into one podcast. My debut in Cleveland on 92.3 The Fan in that fine city. Let you hear a little bit of that show. Then two DC shows over the weekend as well. Lots of interviews. Kevin Pelton from ESPN.com. George Sedano from ESPN. Uh, also had Adam Kaufman from 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston talking about the Celtics and what they are and more specifically aren't doing circa NBA draft time as we head into free agency. Real things, real people said in real microphones as well. And Stephen A. Smith says a lot of things in microphones, and one of them, he shouldn't. It's all on the podcast, which starts right now. Good morning to something that's going to be just a little bit different for the next two hours. My name is Craig Hoffman. I'm talking to you from the nation's capital this morning. Yeah, this, this, is, this is live and local, 92.3 The Fan, but I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C., uh, and we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, I'm a guy uh, who you might have heard before on The Fan, uh, been on with Nick Wilson, been on with Baskin and Phelps, uh, did a lot of stuff around when RG3 signed, uh, the Grand Poobah, Andy, I've, I've known for a long time. Uh, my connections to the station run deep. Here's, here's how deep my connections to 92.3 The Fan are. They started before we even knew they started. Ben Fontana, who you hear on 2020 Sports, was the producer of my college radio show at Syracuse. That's a real thing, kind of, because Fontana didn't pay attention a whole lot, and so he, he was kind of the producer. Uh, he, he sat in the chair. Uh, we, we would say, hey, Ben, what's going on back there? And, and get a, huh? Me? Yeah, you. You're the guy who's supposed to be paying attention. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to tell you up front uh, that I'm not a, a Northeast Ohio person, but I pay attention. And I have such an appreciation for the Cleveland sports scene and the Cleveland sports fan uh, because Cleveland sports fans care at a level about sports uh, that is rare. And I've been around the country at this point, uh, talked to people in all kinds of different markets, uh, worked in different markets, and the passion I found uh, in Cleveland, and not only as someone who's, who's pay attention from afar, but the, the f- multiple times that I've visited there, uh, Jeff Kirchin from, from Q104 st- stayed on his couch uh, last time I was in Cleveland, was there for the NCAA tournament in 2011. So it's a city that I love. Uh, and when people bash, this happened to me yesterday, said, hey, I'm doing this show in Cleveland tomorrow. And people, someone said, yeah, I'm, I must suck. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Cleveland's awesome. So I'm excited to do this for the next couple of hours. And I'm specifically excited to do it right now because there's a question I've been wondering and uh, in talking to, to everybody and getting ready for the show, um, it's apparently a question that's being avoided a lot this week. And I, and I understand why. And it's, it's, you know, the elephant in the room of LeBron and his ability to leave not this summer, but next summer. And something I've been really curious about that I want to tackle, and we will on the phones in a moment at 216-578-0092, is if LeBron James were to say, I'm out next summer. I'm going to L.A. I'm going back to Miami. I'm going to literally anywhere. I'm going to New York under the condition that Phil Jackson has to go because I'm going to free Carmelo because my friend is in prison, basketball prison, or more of an insane asylum. Anyway, whatever the reason is. But he says the reason he's leaving Cleveland is... I don't want to play for Dan Gilbert. What is the fan reaction to that? 
And rather than try to speculate, oh, I think it would be this, I get to talk to you this morning and you get to tell me. I know it's something that you don't necessarily want to think about, but I'm curious. We're a year away at the very least, but this is this is the thing that is looming over the league right now because there's there's something I want to get to in a moment in terms of just you can't outrun bad ownership and the results in, in sports throughout sports are amazing and we see it this week in Cleveland uh, with the the what seems to be incredibly short sighted David Griffin news but overall like the Warriors look to be the favorite for the next three years. Barring catastrophic injury. They're just that good. The Cavaliers were a championship caliber team this year. This team is incredible. This is one of the best offenses we have ever seen. Ever. In the history of the sport. And it took them playing to their absolute best. Making every shot to win one of the five games that we got. Things were better in the final three. The first two obviously weren't close. Um, And, you know, who knows... If that series goes back to Golden State at 2-2, if that series winds up going 7. But all in all, the one thing that can change the trajectory of this league from Warriors domination over the next couple of years is LeBron James joining some team that has close to that level of talent that Golden State has. And that could mean bringing it in. But we know because the Cavaliers have tried to win now every year since LeBron has been back that they've kind of strapped themselves into this roster and there's only so much flexibility they have sans trading Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. So if LeBron looks at this in a couple of years after next year and goes, I'm out you. I'm gone. This is not this is not working for me. And specifically, not not the basketball side, because he loves this team. I think we got such a cool view into this team this year with the road trip and podcast that uh that Richard Jefferson and, and Channing Fry did with uh with Allie from Fox Sports, Ohio. Like that that, that was really, really cool, like curtain peeled back. No matter how who is who is the person sitting in in this chair in front of the microphone, none of us could ever do interviews like that because the athletes will never open up to us like that. The personal relationships there uh, gave us an insight that clearly said the basketball team assembled in Cleveland is one LeBron James thoroughly enjoys being a part of. But we know LeBron James is about a lot more than just basketball at this point. Like, this is a grown man who cares about the league, him, the, himself as a, as a player, um, and his place in history, and a lot of things outside of basketball and how basketball players approach those things. And so I think even more, not just because he's the best player in the league, but because he cares about things like power dynamics his relationship with his owner matters more to him than it might to other players and even other superstars. Again, my name is Greg Hoffman. I'm here with you on 92.3 The Fan this morning. 
And just just thinking out loud, uh, coming to you from outside of Cleveland, someone who is is not has not bled wine and gold his entire life, but is so interested in the league and where it goes, and knowing that LeBron James is the answer to that question, where LeBron goes, the league goes. If he were to come out and say after next summer, and we know he's not going to do another televised special, like we can forget the method in which he would leave. It would be something similar to how he came back. And he were to say, Cleveland, I love you. I'm never leaving you. Northeast Ohio, there will always be home. I will continue to do the charitable work and the projects and give my time in the community. I'm still going to come home. But when it comes to my professional life, I can't work for Dan Gilbert anymore. He drives me insane. I think he's terrible as an owner. I doubt LeBron will go that far. But who knows? Who knows how we don't we don't really know how much that angst and animosity there is in that relationship. If he said that, what's your reaction as a fan? 216-578-0092. And the reason we're talking about this as much as anything is because it seems like after a couple years of LeBron's return of clearly showing him love at every turn and, and a reminder by Dan Gilbert at every single turn and the organization at every single turn of we understand how important you are and we're going to go out of our way to show you love and do things that you want to do. They made a front office change that not only do they not consult him on, but they <laughs> that he doesn't agree with that goes against his wishes and by the way forget st- step away from the lebron lens for a second it's one that doesn't make any sense it's like when when teams try to oh we're going to trade this guy for flexibility You're trading away a good player for cap flexibility? The whole point of cap flexibility is to sign a good player. What are you doing? The whole point of having a general manager is having a good one who makes moves that helps you move in a championship direction. And that is all David Griffin has done. And it's all he did as the assistant GM in Phoenix. Everywhere this guy has been, he has not only been incredibly respected by his peers, his players, and everyone else in the organization, but he has been damn good at his job. And the Cavaliers were like, eh, we can't come to a contract agreement. What do you mean you can't come to a contract agreement? There's no salary cap on the front office. He picks his price. You pay it. That's the contract agreement for David Griffin, and they let him go. What are you doing? What what are you doing? Oh, and it made LeBron mad. What are you doing? Joe Varden covers the the Cleveland Cavaliers every day, as you know, for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. Here's what he said with us earlier this week on 92.3 The Fan. You just have to question, well... How much of the vision is Griff and, and, and how much of it was Dan? The one constant over the last 13 years hasn't been any GM. It's been Dan. And I think when you look at the, the last three years, certainly had been the most successful and almost in a, a large degree of that is LeBron. Um, but then you also had this guy making these very creative moves in a general manager. Because of the cap situation and because of how strapped you are, you have to have a creative GM. You have to have one that understands the CBA at a Ph.D. level. 
here's how I can sneak in an extra player. Here's how I can sneak in an extra dollar. And especially now that you're looking at deals probably involving Kevin Love, like you've got to have someone that your star player trusts. And your star player is LeBron. With all due respect to Kyrie and all due respect to Kevin Love, who, and look, it's hard because Love was his best in Cleveland this year. And specifically in the playoffs. He was really good. He's figured out how to play off of these other guys. And that stuff takes time. And the idea of blowing it up, like, you better you better have a vision. And I trust David Griffin's vision as much as pretty much any executive in the league. Because the results that we've seen have been utterly incredible the past three years. Is it quote-unquote only one championship? Sure. But you're playing against one of the best teams we've ever seen in the in the Western Conference in Golden State. One out of three in this case ain't so bad. All you want to do is put yourself in a, in a, a position to compete. And David Griffin created that as soon as LeBron came back. And that's not that wasn't a given. When I heard the uh, the latest Stephen A. Smith rant, I was humored by it. And and then as I thought about it more. Um, and was was given more perspective by the fact that uh, the subject, uh, one of the subjects of the rant, was none too pleased. Uh, made me think about it a little bit differently. Now, I am humored by Stephen A. Smith and the debate culture of who can be the loudest, who can have the most bodacious take. Um, I. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but sometimes I just don't care about stuff. Where, like that, I don't care that 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 music just magically appeared. Um, Where some people get really hot and bothered about something in sports, and I'll just go, yeah, I, I don't care. And what amuses me about Stephen A is everything is DEFCON 1. Yes, I used it properly. It's not DEFCON 5, it's DEFCON 1 is the most severe. You can't care the most about everything. Everything can't be the worst or the best. There's got to be some some shade of gray. It's not all black. It's not all white. It's not all up, all down. Like Sometimes stuff matters a, a little bit, and sometimes stuff matters a lot, and sometimes stuff matters none at all, and sometimes stuff matters the most. Like, there's, there's all levels of in-between. And the fact that he and Skip Bayless and Max Kellerman and all these guys that, that do these shows are always on 10, just, it's disingenuous babushka to me. I, it drives me nuts. Because I think it's, it's disingenuous to the audience, and I'd rather be honest with you guys. But occasionally, the entertainment value, I have no, I cannot deny that Stephen A. Smith is exceptional at what he does. I just can't do it. And so sometimes when he goes into overdrive, it humors me, and nothing pushes him into overdrive more than when the New York Knicks do something dumb, which is frequent, which is why it puts him into overdrive. And sure enough, on first take this week, as the rumors swirled, that Kristaps Porzingis was on the trading block, well, Stephen A. lost it. 
I'm going to do you a favor, my brother. I'm going to leave it to you. Because if, I, if, 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 if it comes out of my mouth, if it comes out of my mouth, and I sit up there and I literally articulate the stuff that this man has done, since he has been the executive of the New York Knicks, I'm going to lose my mind. I ain't going to be able to do the rest of the show. I'm telling you right now. It comes out of my mouth. I'm not going to be able to control myself because I'm barely able to right now. Pause. Can you pause? His very you just first pause. move is the executive. Pause because we're about to get to the part where he's going to get in trouble. But have you ever heard someone, maybe like married folks, I feel like probably have done the, have more experience with this. Someone who has sounded more like they've already lost their mind saying that they are about to lose their mind. Then what we just—if you don't get it right now, I might lose my mind. Like, bro, you're already there. I might not be able to rest the show. You're already kind of screwing it up. And then he did. Was to sign Lamar Odom, who was on crack. <laughs> wait, I mean, wait, like, who? No, Phil or Lamar? I don't mean to, Phil or Lamar? I don't mean to be. Listen, I love Lamar Odom, the person, and God bless him. We're wishing nothing but the best. But metaphorically speaking, he saw his first move as the executive of the New York Knicks was to sign Lamar Odom, who was on crack. Oh, man. He gets paid a lot of money. I just like how he accentuates the K. On crack. (laughs) Look, man, sometimes I wonder if I'm doing this job right. And when it comes to getting paid, I think I'm clearly not. But (laughs) at least I don't do that. I can go home tonight and know that I didn't do that. Here's a letter from Lamar Odom's attorney to ESPN. This letter is in response to a statement made by your employee, Mr. Stephen A. Smith, during the airing of First Take on June 21st, 2017. During that episode, Mr. Smith said the following statement while discussing the president of the New York Knicks, Phil Jackson. His very first move as executive was to sign Lamar Odom, in all caps, who was on crack. Let's put the fact aside the fact that Lamar passed all the required physicals and medical tests necessary to play in the league. Let's put aside the fact that Mr. Smith attempted to qualify his statement by saying how much he likes Lamar and wishes him well in his recovery. Let's look at what his statement does, not only to Lamar, but to any and all professional athletes struggling with addiction. The National Institute of Drug Abuse has defined addiction as a chronic relapsing brain disease that is characterized by compulsive drug seeking and use despite harmful consequences. Mr. Smith chose to jokingly disparage Lamar for having a disease. Mr. Smith chose to shout out the fact that Lamar was sick and used his disease as the butt of a joke. To say that his conduct was outrageous and unacceptable does not scratch the surface. Think about others that are battling addiction, those that have not had the strength or opportunity to share their struggle like Lamar. Imagine the effect this grotesque statement would have on any young athlete who is privately fighting this disease to become the punchline of a vulgar joke. Since his release from the hospital, Lamar has been actively working within the addiction community. On June 20th, 2017, a day before the show, Lamar traveled to a rehab facility in Davie, Florida. Here he spoke to the patients at Live Free Institute and shared a story with young, impressionable minds. We hope those at ESPN will actively voice their disdain for Mr. Smith's inappropriate statement and take the proper action to support those that are fighting this disease. 
We'd hope that your network would use this situation as an opportunity to become more actively involved in this cause. Sincerely, Sam Zengena. Sorry, Sam, I probably just murdered your name. Uh, but he is the attorney for Lamar Odom. What Stephen A. said in just the words... is valid in criticizing Phil Jackson, who has been absolutely horrendous. And his first move was to sign Lamar Odom, who hadn't played a whole lot and was battling this disease. But when you say it in the manner where everything has to be, not just on 10, but 12, where everything is out of control, where nothing has nuance, nothing has power beyond boisterousness and overpower this is what happens this is why these shows drive me absolutely insane Stephen A. Smith at one time was a capital J journalist doing reporting and, I, and, and even in sports the people who do serious reporting on the games like okay we're talking about games there's some really important business reporting that happens in the sports world. But at the end of the day, we're talking about sports, right? We're not talking about some of the stuff that gets covered for, say, in this town with Congress and, you know, that affects people's lives and, you know, this or any other president. We're not talking about world events here, foreign policy stuff. We're allowed to have fun. But we're also allowed to have some journalistic integrity and responsibility and more importantly, responsibility to each other as humans. And that's where this lacked. And it's disappointing. But guess what? It's going to happen again. Final half hour of a Saturday edition of the Hoffman Show here on The Fan. Be with you again tomorrow morning from 9 a.m. to noon. We will have some more NBA talk over the next 30 minutes with people who know the league really, really well. Uh, we start off that talk with Mike Prada of SB Nation. Mike, how are you, my friend? Good to talk. Good to talk to you. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside, and I'm enjoying myself. Are you in D.C. or in New York? I'm still in New York. Okay. But it's, I hear it's really nice in D.C. too. It is. It is. I started the show complaining that I'm not able to do this outdoors. I just need one outdoor microphone for the summer, and I would be much happier. <laughs> Yeah, that'll do it. And, you know, luckily, I get the cell phone, yep. and you have to be in the studio, so I try not to rub it in too much. That's right. I'm going to a barbecue festival when I get done, and that's in 25 minutes. I think okay. I can make it at this point. Uh, so okay. Mike covered the Wizards for a long time here in D.C. Has now shifted to the national scene, but still obviously has a very keen eye on the Wizards. And, Mike, I had Kevin Pelton from ESPN on earlier in the show, and he said something that was a full stop for me, which was that the Wizards' acquisition of twin Tim Frazier might just be the biggest acquisition they make this summer. So acquisition, of course, being the key word, they're going to, we think, re-sign Otto Porter, but what are the chances that the Wizards have essentially acquired all of the new talent that they are going to acquire this summer? Well, they have to fill out the roster, so I don't think they're they're done acquiring new talent. But I think what Kevin is speaking to is the luxury tax crunch that they face. And they got bad news recently when the cap is going to projection is down to ninety nine million, which will also drive the tax projection down. So I think that's sort of what he's referring to, you know, because of some of the contracts that were handed out last summer, because of the big raise that Otto Porter is going to get. 
they're going to be pushing up against attacks. And, like, I I guess Ernie Grunfeld left, sort of left the door open in an interview recently, but I would be surprised if they go over the tax because it's not like they're going to be going over for an impact player. And so in that light, you know, getting someone who could be a backup point guard for you uh, for pretty cheap, he's only making $2 million next year. You didn't really give up very much. That may very well be the best move that they make, and it's too bad because they have other holes to fill. So I, I don't know if it's the only move they're going to make. I don't think it really can be, but they do have a crunch uh, at the luxury tax that, you know, this is a consequence of spending a lot of money last summer and not getting too much out of it. If they do decide, or te- basically Ted Leonsis gives the thumbs up to go over that tax threshold and, and they would use some kind of mid-level exception, taxpayer mid-level, something like that, we don't necessarily need to get into all of the CBA semantics, but in terms of players who would fit the bill for that kind of money and be willing to sign that deal, who, who are they looking at? Well, that's a good question. I'm not really sure who they're looking at. They With Frazier now, they've got the backup point guard spot between him and Sadoransky. I think they got solved. You, know, you always need more wings. I think a lot of it also will depend on is Boyan Bogdanovich sticking around or not, You know, because if he doesn't stick around, I think you still need another three, four swing person. Um, as someone that can play in small lineups, you know, I think they could still use another scorer off the bench, you know, someone to play the two, someone, I don't think they should be getting one of those like de facto bench scores, but you know, another wing player, you know, would be nice. And I think they could, it, We'll have to see what's going on with the Amimi, uh, but I think they could also use, you know, they kind of need help everywhere. You know, they just need, their starting five was so good, and they just need more people who can play. And I think they should go in on, and it's going to be really hard to find a good wing for, you know, eight million a year. You know, maybe someone like a PJ Tucker, if he doesn't go back to Toronto, would be an interesting addition for them. Someone who can play three and four, give them a defensive edge. So, but I don't know if that, if, if that player is available and, and it, if you get to the point where that player costs you, you know, double and more because of luxury tax, you know, is it really worth it to go get that player? Uh, or is it better to do what they did and try to find a bargain like Tim Frazier and see if they can get something out of him? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mike Prada of SB Nation with me, Craig Hoffman, here on The Fan. Um, are there any other, like, creative ways that they could, whether it's sign and trade or maybe, you know, flipping Gortat if they, if someone would be willing to take him on? Like, what, what do you think the other options are that they will explore, that they even could explore to try to change the way this roster looks? Yeah, they, you know, moving Gortat is a possibility, but I'm not sure that the center market is, like, really that hot right now so i'm not sure even if he's one of those guys that i think he's probably more valuable to the wizards than he is to anyone else you know so i mean that's the thing i guess they could look into signing trading out of porter but the problem with that is that because of kind of obscure salary rules his salary his new salary only costs would be worth half in a trade so you're not going to be able to take back that much salary for signing and trading him. Also, I don't know why you would sign and trade him. You know, they're kind of out of draft picks. I'm not 100% sure where they're at with trade exceptions. I know they use one to get Frazier and to make that deal work. Um, you know, it's it's going to be really difficult, you know, for them to find ways. You know, one thing to maybe think about, and I don't think they're going to do this, but, you know, you wonder if, if Wall is untouchable, obviously, and if Beal is untouchable, and if you're keeping Porter, and if Gortat's market really isn't there, which I don't think it will be, 
You know, you wonder if, like, even though he has an affordable contract, like, could you could you look at Markeith Morris as someone that you might want to try to package with somebody else in a future asset to upgrade? You know, that's the other option you can do. But, no, they, they don't have too many really real choices here. I think what they're going to need to do is be really sharp with their scouting, get guys who get a $6 million player for $2 million. You know, find maybe more undrafted rookies from their summer league team to bring on and try to build with volume and hit, try to find some hits there. You know, it's, it's going to be really important. Their, their pro scouting has got to be really on point to be able to find guys who are undervalued or didn't have good years with their teams last year, but they may fit better with the Wizards. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's hard to do. And, you know, the other move, I guess, could be to try to look to trade Kelly Oubre. But, I, I, again, like, he's pretty inexpensive, and I don't know what you're going to get from that. So it's going to be difficult. Um, but I'm sure the team has already tried to work some of this stuff out. And, you know, we'll see what they come up with. Yeah, they are as asset barren as any team in the league, nearly. Um, at least, like, they're good. It's just trying to get take that next step is going to be really difficult. Um, I'm going to ask you another question I asked Pelton, and I'm curious uh, if your answer is the same as his, because there's kind of two tiers to this question. There's a prediction element of what's going to happen, and then there's kind of will give us an insight on what you think of players. But the best player to change teams this summer, and this obviously counts Jimmy Butler that already has, the best player to change teams this summer will be who? Jimmy Butler. Okay, so the second the best, best team. So you, you then agree with Kevin that he's better than Paul George, Blake Griffin, all of those guys who potentially would. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that he's um, a better fit necessarily for some of the teams that would acquire these new guys, but I think if you were literally holding a fantasy draft, I think Jimmy Butler would go number one among you know, Paul George or Hayward or all those other guys. Um, you know, I think Jeff Boston would prefer George or Hayward because of the way they're set up, but I think Butler's a better player. All right, so if we take Butler out of it, and now, now we're completely predicting, of these big names, how many of them do you think change teams? And that could include a train too, a LaMarcus Aldridge, let's say. How, uh, do you think that this is a lot of bluster that leads nowhere, or do you think we're really going to have some movement this offseason? Uh, I think we probably will because – you look at what's on the horizon um, with LeBron and his upcoming free agency, you would think that Cleveland is going to be very aggressive. Uh, and you look at George and what, I mean, he's basically told the Pacers, like, you should just trade me. Um, so I think it will be a pretty active summer. I think the real, I think George will be somewhere else by the time the year starts. I'm not sure if that's LA or if that's some other team that's renting, but I think as you go into the summer and there's, I think what the Pacers are hoping is that a bidding war opens up later. Uh, but I, I would be very surprised if he's on the Pacers to start the year. And then I think the other big name to keep an eye on is Gordon is Gordon Hayward. Uh, the Jazz trading up to get Don, to get Donovan Mitchell uh, from Louisville when Hill and Hayward are both free agents does not is not the greatest sign that they think Hayward's going to stay. To me, you know, because they that's a future trade and they already have Exum. So unless they think Hiller and or Hayward are leaving, I don't really see why they would do that. So I think it looks like Hayward's going to go elsewhere. You know, we'll see about Griffin and Paul. I mean, I think it's an interesting question to be honest. Like is, is Hayward, even if Griffin and Hayward both change teams, is Hayward a better player than, than Griffin at this stage? And I would think definitely he's a better player than Aldridge at this stage. So, you know, we may have a lot of people moving and still Gordon Hayward being, you know, right there with Paul George is the best one. 
Yeah, no, he's... I, I loved... Um, I was listening to something LeBron was talking about recently, and he mentioned Hayward and just went, like, respect to Gordon Hayward. I, I think people are starting to understand how good he is. Mike, always appreciate the time, man. Uh, we'll do this again later in the summer. Enjoy the beautiful, rest of the beautiful day in New York, not having to talk to me on a cell phone uh, and, and think about basketball. Well, enjoy not talking to anyone on the radio and then talking to people in real life at the barbecue. I will. I absolutely will. Talk to you soon, man. See ya. All right, take care. That's Mike Prada of SB Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Prada SBN. Coming up next, uh, the Lakers are at the center of a lot of this and we're at the center of the most interesting part of draft night because the draft was mostly boring. Uh, and that is, of course, the Ball family. Uh, George Sedano lives out in L.A. and does a morning show for ESPN's affiliate out there. Obviously covers the league for ESPN on the whole. George joins us to close out the show next. Finishing out the show by heading out to the West Coast. Hoffman show on a Saturday on the fan uh, and George Sedano covers the NBA for ESPN host mornings on ESPN LA. Good to talk to you, Sedano. How are you, my friend? I'm good, bud. How are you? I am good. Glad that we could do this. As I told, uh, I had Pelton on earlier. Same problem. Uh, I've always had loved having you guys on. And then I started doing shows before the sun came up on the West coast. And that's, that's been an issue, but, uh, the Lakers somehow have found themselves uh, at the center of the NBA world again, uh, whether it's the trade rumors with Paul George or this thought that LeBron might head there uh, in the summer of 2018. And my, I guess my question for you is this, as someone who's been around this league for a while and seems to have seen the Lakers come back and come back and now is, is out there and covering them, like, how do they do this? Why do they get to always have relevance and, and it seems always be on the path eventually to being good? Why do the Yankees keep doing it? I mean, that's basically what they are. I know that the Celtics have more championships, but when you really think about relevance in the NBA and glamour, um, the Yankees and Lakers are basically synonymous, right? Like the Yankees are the MLB equivalent of the Lakers and vice versa. So that's what it is. It's location. It's, uh, you know, obviously the history. And I think that the fact that Magic Johnson is back and has shown at least early on to have a propensity to be able to manage the team properly and at least make whether it's bold moves or subtle moves that seem like there is a real plan in place, I think that the league has taken notice and players will take notice and say, yeah, I'd rather live there. I'd rather play there for that historic franchise if everything's going right. And that's where Magic wants this thing headed. Do you think that they wind up pulling the trigger for a Paul George deal, um, or is there a fear that they could this could be a Carmelo Anthony deal part two, and they just hold tight and say, look, if he's going to come in free agency, we'll wait the year. It's not like we're winning a title this year anyway. Well, I think they're hoping that's the case. They've already cleared one hurdle, which is draft night, draft night, and then the next hurdle would be, you know, basically any time before the regular season starts. Because once the regular season starts, I mean, Indiana doesn't have much leverage right now to begin with. They'll have even less once that starts. So, um, look, the Lakers aren't interested in giving up anything of real value to the Pacers right now. And that was pretty evident in their offer of 27 and 28 in the draft and either Randall or Clarkson. So, on the other side, Indiana's Kevin Pritchard has been known as a – pretty shrewd businessman over his career and I just don't see him 
taking that at this point because he probably says to himself, you know what, I'm better off just taking the cap space, uh, you know, because none of those assets are going to amount to anything, at least anything significant for me. So I do think the Lakers' plan is to let this thing kind of play out and hopefully he comes in free agency. Unless someone or they get the sense that someone really can lure him, which I don't see that being the case, then maybe they'd make a move. But I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. Back in the Eastern Conference, Boston drafts Jason Tatum. They again don't make a draft night deal. They move back, uh, obviously, to take Tatum, giving up uh, the opportunity to draft Markel Fultz and getting what they got in that deal, more assets. Is Danny Ainge, I mean, this is, seems like a dumb question because the obvious answer would seem to be yes, but he hasn't done it yet. Is Danny Ainge ever going to cash in on this, or is he just going to try to keep moving the window back until, like, LeBron retires or something? <laughs> He's a hoarder, man, that's for sure. Um, I don't know what to think anymore with Danny Ainge. Like, I thought if he was going to cash in, this was the year he was going to do it. Now, I guess technically um, – you know, there's still some time, right, before the season starts for him to be able to pull something off. But it's not going to be easy. Uh, he's got some free agent money to play with, which I think is important. But it's pretty it's pretty important for them this offseason, man, to do something of real value because they have contracts that are coming up after this season that they're going to have to deal with. And that only is going to complicate things. So I'd be really surprised if he doesn't do something before the season starts. And if he doesn't, then you've kind of answered the question. He's clearly playing the extra long game and waiting out LeBron and the Warriors for that next wave. So I'll ask you this question. Um, unfortunately, we got a heart out here in about 90 seconds. So I'll ask you this, and then, and then we got to run. Um, the next team to win the Eastern Conference that is not the Cleveland Cavaliers is who? I mean, the easy answer is Boston, right? But you know what? They're going to be number one in anyone's poll. I, I would never rule out Miami because of Pat Riley and the ability to track free agents. So I would put them in that mix. They had a really great second half last year. They were the second or third best team in the league in the second half of the season last year. I think that they can have that kind of ability if they add some free agency over the next couple years. I think they can be in that mix because that's just what Pat does. He goes big or goes home. And uh, so I can see them in that mix. But it's either Boston or Miami, in my opinion. And that's over the next several years, not, not anytime soon. Yeah. George, always appreciate the time, man. We'll have to do this again later in the summer. Um, hope everything's well out there. You're, you're enjoying the nice sunshine. Uh, you know, you went from Miami to Connecticut and then to L.A., so you seem to have found your way back. Yeah, I, I'm winning. Palm trees and sunshine. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it, bud. Good yeah, catching yeah. up with you. Right now, let's talk about one of the biggest contenders in the Eastern Conference in terms of the tier that the Wizards are on, and they showed it in a seven-game series, which Boston wound up winning. Uh, and now I'm trying to make sense of their, this team's offseason, Celtics. Uh, and to help me do that is going to be Adam Kaufman of 98.5, the sports hub up in Boston. Adam, good morning, sir. How are you? I like the way you frame that, bud, with the uh, contender for the Eastern Conference on the tier that the Warriors are on. <laughs> or not, not the Warriors, the, uh, or, 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 the, the, Wizards. the Wizards, pardon me. If I said... Obviously nowhere near the, uh, the Warriors or Cavaliers just yet. Right. Right, which is the goal eventually, but you know we got we got some ways to go. Right now, the fight is yeah, strong for dream. a second. Right, 
Um, I think, though, the Celtics clearly, uh, compared to the Wizards, have a better path to get there. The Wizards are very much stuck where they are um, because of some bad moves they had to make trades to make up for, and they're inflexible. The Celtics are the most flexible team in basketball, and yet here we are in year like three or four, it seems, of the Celtics having a bunch of assets and not turning them into the big move. What do you make of that, the fact that they still haven't cashed in in any meaningful way in terms of a big trade or player acquisition? Well, you know, I guess to a certain degree I I would disagree. You know, it kind of depends on... And, and made that huge splash, the fireworks that have always been alluded to around these parts over the last few years, you could certainly say no, you know, short of signing Al Horford in free agency this time last year, which, uh, I mean, he was the undisputed biggest name free agent in Celtics history. You know, they had never signed an impactful free agent to the degree of Al Horford, you know, landing a max player who is still at least, uh, albeit maybe toward the end, but still in his prime. Um, as far as, you know, trading away uh, a lot of the assets collected in that blockbuster trade with Nets back in the summer of 2013, there's, there is impatience uh, among some, you know, fraction of the fan base. But I, I don't think it's been necessarily bad to do the small, you know, the slower build. You know, they take Jalen Brown with the number three pick last year. They take Jason Tatum, obviously, just a couple of nights ago this year. They've still got the unprotected Brooklyn pick next year in what is expected to be another good draft, and obviously the Nets are going to suck again. And any number of first-round picks, this club has six first-round picks over the next three drafts, including its own, if uh, if they were to happen to hang on to everything. So it, it's you know, it, it waiting and and seeing if they're going to cash in and and acquire those big name stars is always the thing around here that we wait on because, as you said, they're as flexible as any team in the NBA. If any star player should happen to come available, like an Anthony Davis or somebody like that, the Celtics are uh, ready as ready to pounce as any club in the NBA. But by the same token, you know they're weighing the building for now versus building for the future, and when you're trying to compete with most especially the Warriors who practically ran the table this year, uh, regular season and playoffs, It's it, it, there's a lot of debate there in terms of whether you want to go all in now to maybe overtake Cleveland, make it to the finals, only to lose to the, to the Warriors, or if you want to plan out a few years down the road, and I think that's what Danny Ainge and company are wrestling with. I guess, yeah, it's a matter of, though, that there are uh, there are players available you know Jimmy Butler was clearly available as he got moved Paul George uh, is is available and possibly at a discount because they the Pacers know that he wants out um, Gordon Hayward could be a possibility in free agency then you don't have to worry about it but then you also have the idea of Isaiah Thomas uh, and his contract coming up and that complicates it so at, at what point how much longer I guess it would be the question can Danny Ainge wait or maybe even a better question for you um, as someone who opines on this stuff is how much longer should he wait well again you know when it comes to the whole building for now and the future because remember we're talking about a team that just won 53 games was the first place team in the eastern conference which i feel like should have a little asterisk next to it because the Cavs basically gifted them that one seat but nevertheless they were the number one they reached the conference finals and then were you know quickly shown that they're not 
on the Cavs level in that semifinal round. But nevertheless, it was a great year. And then they go and have the third overall pick. Actually, they had the first and then traded it away. But, you know, we're, we're seeing that this is a team that is, is set up for now and is trying to plan out the future. And when you have Al Horford, a max player on the roster, when you have Isaiah Thomas, who is potentially next time, you know, this time next year going to command max money. And right now they're working to, you know, carve out a, a max slot to add a free agent like, as you mentioned, Gordon Hayward, maybe Blake Griffin. They can continue to compete and contend and be successful with a, uh, a, a new big three if they're successful in free agency, albeit not uh, on the Warriors level, not on the Cavs level, probably, but definitely not the Warriors, while still having Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, uh, Terry Rozier, you know, young, talented players, as well as potentially if, I mean, if the lottery balls bounce their way, they could have the top two picks in the 2018 draft, never mind 2019 and 2020 with, with other uh, future firsts that they have there as well. So this is the flexibility they have, and this, these are the decisions they're wrestling with. You know, you mentioned Jimmy Butler. Is it worth going all in, so to speak? I know it was a paltry return for the Bulls in the Minnesota deal, but the, they would have commanded more from the Celtics. And is it worth, even though Jimmy Butler's on a favorable contract for a couple more years and he's you know, 27 years old, are you willing to give up a Nets pick? Uh, the third overall pick this year, effectively Tatum. Um, you know, a, a couple of roster pieces to get Jimmy Butler, who instantly would probably be the best player on your team, but still does he put you over that hump? And I would argue he doesn't. So you're not going to mortgage your future for guys like that. You're willing to maybe mortgage your future for Chris Stapps Porzingis, who's 21, for Anthony Davis, who's 22 or 23, for guys that you can really build around for the next, in a perfect world, decade plus, not guys that are going to be looking for new max deals a couple of years down the road. Well, I mean, I, yes and no, because we don't. this league is weird. Injuries happen, things happen. And if all of a sudden you've got a team with Isaiah Thomas, Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward, and Jalen Brown, and some of these other pieces, Al Horford, obviously, like, that's a hell of a team to put on the floor. And so would you give it up, uh, Jason Tatum, for Jimmy Butler, essentially? Like, yeah, I would because it, I think Jason Tatum's good. I like the pick. I, I love his work ethic. I think he's going to be a good player. But if he turns into Jimmy Butler, he would have exceeded what I think he's he's going to be. And I think sometimes we as in NBA – and teams, I think, do this too – overrate draft picks because the pick is seen more valuable as the player and then as time goes on and we learn more typically a player's value goes down no well it just depends on the player which is is the great unknown for danny Ainge or any other executive in in the nba you know these guys are all whether you're drafted number three or whether you're drafting 28 and obviously there's a distinction between the two but i think the general message is you know these guys are scratch tickets you know you, you don't know if if jason tatum is is going to become uh you know a, a few years down the road an all-star a couple years after that an all-nba player or if he is going to be uh, i don't know danny granger like it's uh, you, you just don't know how that's going to pan out and so you have to decide is it worth the risk to try and build around a younger core so that you can set yourself up with kind of a slow builder if you want to compete right now. Like when the Celtics in 2007 assembled the new big three with obviously Pierce being there, they trade the number five pick for Ray Allen, then they convinced Kevin Garnett to come and, and uh, sign the extension after they traded for him in a monster deal. I think they gave up like seven players for him. They knew they were going to have three guys who were at that point 30 years old and have a short 
what was originally intended to be basically a three-year window turned out to be more of a five-year window where they could compete and contend. But after that, there were going to be a lot of question marks. And if the Nets hadn't gifted them that trade and and then been so uh, bad immediately, who the hell knows what we'd be saying about the Celtics right now. But um, you can compare that. You know, that's one way of building up your team. Another way is doing what the Warriors have done, which, you know, even take Kevin Durant out of the equation because they were clearly a championship team and a title contender and all that before Durant jumped ship in OKC. This is a club that a handful of years ago won 20 some odd games and then obviously, you know, waited for their draft picks to to pan out and, and become the players they are. And, and I'm talking about Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Like these are all homegrown players. If, and this is a giant if, clearly, but if Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, next year's pick, Marcus Smart, you know, these guys can become all-stars uh, and, and a couple of them even better than that, you know, all NBA caliber players, then it was worth it. It was worth the slow build. But if they don't, then people are going to look at Danny Ainge in hindsight and say, did you overvalue your assets? You know, should you have made a trade to get immediately into that contending conversation? So this is, you know, there's no right answer from me, from you, even from Danny Ainge. It's, it's sitting around and saying, okay, how's this going to pan out? But Again, we're not even at the start of free agency on July 1. That's Saturday. Right. We'll find out. We know they're going to reach out to Gordon Hayward at, at 12.00. And at that point, you know, how quickly does he sign? Be it with Boston, be it with Miami, re-sign in Utah. And then if they add him, Celtics, can they swing a deal for Paul George and build right. a, a big four that features George and, and Hayward and Horford and Thomas and sacrifice some of their assets? Adam Kaufman, 98.5 The Sports Hub with me, Craig Hoffman, here on The Fan. Last question for you, Adam. What can change the course of this where Danny all of a sudden decides that the slow build is no longer the play? Is it signing someone like Hayward that all of a sudden, or Blake Griffin and going, all right, we need to jumpstart because we think we can win now? Or does he, even then, does he remain as patient as he has been? Danny Ainge, uh, I'll say this about Danny Ainge, and this is a you know a compliment. He is not going to. He's he's a very good trader. You know, he you could argue that the last time he lost an impactful trade was six years ago, which was the Kendrick Perkins Jeff Green trade. So while his draft history is a little bit spotty, like most people's, he's you know more often than not wins trades. He's not going to be taken advantage of. And so the question is going to be is are other teams going to be asking for the moon like the Knicks reportedly were for Porzingis or maybe the Bulls wanted too much for Butler or, or are the Pacers going to want too much for, for Paul George? You know, I think it's, it's the whole, it's cliche, the whole it takes two to tango. Uh, we're not going to know um, you know, if, if Danny Ainge feels compelled to make a deal until we know what kinds of offers exist on the other side. But I can, uh, I, I can certainly, you know, promise you this. Danny Ainge has, has as much job security as any executive in, in professional sports. He's not going to feel pressured to make a move. The ownership, coaching staff, other you know, members of the front office, they're all willing to be patient right along with him if that's what he feels uh, is is the best course of action. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not a great answer for you, but it's kind of the waiting game. I don't see there being this, this one thing that forces him into making a decision to, okay, let's get after it right now. Well, I'll tell you what, that's good for you because I look at talking about the Wizards offseason and go, okay, we got 
We got Tim Frazier for the second round pick. That's fun. You got you got a lot to talk about, my man. Uh, I always enjoy uh, your opinions on Twitter uh, and and checking into the show on the couple times that I've done that. So uh, good good work as always, and uh, we'll do this later in the summer. Anytime, man. Hoffman show wrapping up on the fan. We close the show as we do with uh, real things, real people said in the real microphones. And we, we had some fun with Stephen A. Smith earlier, who's having a very bad day. PJ, do you have your mashup? I want to make sure that people appreciate this work from PJ Elliott. Musical genius, PJ Elliott. Because Stephen A. Smith was having a very bad day. And then PJ played a song that was famous about a bad day. And, th- and then, then he made it all one. Because you had a bad day. You take it one down. You sing a sad song just to turn it around. You said you don't know. Is it more? Tell me don't lie. You oh. work at a smile. Yes, please. You're right. You had a bad day. Oh, you missed one there. There's, there's another, what, what? Yeah, because they're not gonna know. It's just Adobe wanted to do its own thing right there. Oh, that's so when I when I went back to Control Z and undo and edit, it undid everything. Oh, that's unfortunate. Except for the first one. Oh, that's that's unfortunate. It it is, and nobody listening cares about what just happened. No, other than they're they're disappointed, just like me. You know, you know what happens now? We're all having a bad day. So we had fun with that earlier. Uh, Rich Cho is the, uh, is the general manager of the Charlotte Hornets. They had a really good draft. I didn't, I, I led them, uh, or I, I left them off of the winners and losers list earlier. I think they were a winner getting Malik Monk, uh, at 11. That was a really, really good one. Uh, and then a really good pick. Then they got Dwayne Bacon later. And most of the time when there's bacon involved, that's the thing we can't forget. We can't get our mind off of bacon. However, Rich Cho, when he went to say Dwayne Bacon, uh, said something else instead. I'd like to um, welcome to the Hornets family um, Malik Monk and Dwayne Wade. We're... Sorry. Malik Monk and Dwayne Bacon. <laughs> Whoopsies. Uh, Whoopsie daisies. Wishful thinking, maybe. Wishful thinking, perhaps, from Rich Joe. Hey, let's get Dwayne Wade. Uh, this was also good. I played this one yesterday, but it's so good that I want to do it again. Um... Cody Bellinger's 21 years old, and he smashes home runs for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Unless he hit one yesterday, he's got 22 of them. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld was a comedian that was very, very popular in the 1990s. Most of you probably knew both of those facts. And I would say the majority, like as sports radio listeners. And if you didn't know one, I bet it's that you're not a baseball fan and you didn't know who Cody Bellinger was. The funny thing about Cody Bellinger is he apparently doesn't know who Jerry Seinfeld is. And this came up uh, thanks to Scott Van Pelt, 
Uh, he's got the Midnight Sports Center on ESPN. That's all his own. It's got fancy graphics and music and stuff. And so he was tweeting back and forth with Brandon McCarthy. Brandon McCarthy, a pitcher for the Dodgers, tweeted, it's fun knowing that I have Jerry Seinfeld's mood in my hands every time I pitch against the Mets. And Scott tweeted back at him, do Seeger, as in Corey Seeger, and Bellinger even know who that is? And then Scott had Cody Bellinger on his show and asked him about it. I tweet back to McCarthy, do Seeger or Bellinger know who that is? So do you know who Jerry Seinfeld is? I'm not going to lie to you. I know the name, but I couldn't put a face to the name. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what he I don't. That's incredible. I don't, know, I don't really know what he does, man. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, you don't, no, no, no. You, don't have to, you don't have to apologize for anything. It's just like he was kind of a popular guy that had a real popular TV show. I love Bellinger's. I don't really know what he does. You know what you know what Jerry Seinfeld does? Well, actually, he does a, a comedians in cars getting coffee. Like he does a web series now. But he, Jerry Seinfeld collects checks every time this music plays. That's what Jerry Seinfeld does. And now Cody Bellinger knows. Yeah, that's about as good of a Seinfeld as you're gonna get out of me. I have, I have better impressions. Uh. This week was a big week for Chick-fil-A and athletes, which is an interesting thing because we think of athletes and eating healthy and all that, all that kind of stuff. But uh, when asked about the difference between Boston and Philly, one of the things Markel Fultz, D.C. native uh, from DeMatha, said about Philadelphia, I mean, he said, look, like my family's close and that's sweet, but, but he also said they have, they have Chick-fil-A. Mm. That's, that's a valid point. Boston's got Duncan, and but you can get Duncan in Philly. I mean, you got a good crab in Boston. Good, good lobster. Philly, Philly's got good seafood. It's fine. Chick-fil-A, that's a separator. And then there's Derek Carr. Derek Carr just got paid. Spent a lot of time on that. The effect it has on Kirk Cousins, all that kind of stuff yesterday. As for the effect that it has on Derek Carr, hey, Derek, what are you going to splurge on? And you're not really an extravagant guy, but is there one thing that, you, that you're going to sort of splurge on that you can let Chick, us know? Chick-fil-A, probably Chick-fil-A. Uh, I've been eating clean, lad. We got lad here. He's been having me eat clean. I'll probably get some Chick-fil-A, but uh, no. There's something in that chicken, man. And I just... I want to actually, PJ, we didn't think this out. I now feel really bad. Because now everyone driving around wants Chick-fil-A and it's Sunday and none of us can get it. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Have you ever made that move, pulled into a Chick-fil-A on a Sunday just to realize, OS, it's Sunday? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the worst feeling. When you get the hankering for chicken minis, nothing else will do. You pull up to Chick-fil-A, and it's dark. Your first thought is, yes, no wait. Then you have that horrifying realization that you cannot get your delicious chicken. Which may or may not have crack sprinkled into it. There's something in that chicken, man. 
always a good feeling, though, because at first, because you pull in and you're like, oh, there's no line for once. Right. And then you realize why there's no line. Because there's no people to give you the chicken either. Ugh. Now I'm hungry. What else is new? Uh, Update on a story that I briefly mentioned earlier. I got to find the tweet. I don't want to mess it up because it's great. Uh, Ian Rappaport of of, uh, NFL Network reported earlier that the Chiefs have reached out to Lewis Riddick to set up an interview about their open GM job after they parted ways with John Dorsey earlier this week. At L. Riddick, ESPN. That's that's Lewis himself. The Kansas City Chiefs have not contacted me, and there is no interview set up for this week. Source? Me. Okay. I guess that settles that. That's it, and that's all for the show. Make sure you check out the Train with the Best podcast as well. Fatherhood, the topic this week. Really, really interesting stuff. Just, uh, I think it's one of the better episodes we've done, frankly, uh, with Chris and Lorenzo, uh, and no guests, and just talking about how fatherhood and family has shaped all of our careers. Um, I'm talking about it more from the son's perspective. Those guys uh, have kids of their own and, and can talk about that, or and did talk about that in a way that was, was moving at times. Uh, so check that out, Train with the Best podcast. I'll see you next week on the radio. Uh, see you Thursday night on the radio as well. Thanks for checking out this pod. Subscribe, rate, subscribe, rate, train with the best too. And uh, then, then you can give your finger a rest.